Hello everyone and welcome to the January 10th edition of WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foltz with Floyd, Scarron, and Kelly. Let's get started with this week's news. Cheswick, the Commission on Health and Safety and Workers' Compensation Lean Report has triggered substantial public feedback. As one would expect, many lien claimants objected to the Cheswick recommendation to reinstitute the $100 lien filing fee. Some called it draconian. Another reply called it a free interest loan. Reed Steinfeld, an attorney with the Grant and Weber Collection Agency, prepared a 17-page point-by-point response to many of the 30 Cheswick recommendations and his was perhaps the most comprehensive and well-reasoned response of any of the lien claimants. Carl Moody, supervising attorney for the City of Los Angeles, noted that since we have a fee schedule and since many lien claimants seem to ignore it, he suggests that a policy be adopted providing that anyone who overcharges the medical billings by 10% or more should risk losing the entire billing as a way of discouraging billing intentionally outside the fee schedule. Fernando Pla, operations manager for Sedgwick CMS, had a similar suggestion that liens exceeding the OMFS without justification should be subject to WCAB sanctions. He also recommended that lien claimants undergo a registration process so they can be identified and tracked, including a permanent record of discipline imposed. Peter Spaulding, team manager of Liberty Mutual Glendale Commercial Market Claims, notes that there's a major difference between how Northern and Southern California district offices deal with liens. In Northern California, treatment or billing disputes are heard and resolved in expedited hearings, and for that reason he claims liens don't exist in Northern venues to a significant extent. Doug Brenner, MD, the regional coordinator of occupational health at Kaiser Permanente also said that in Northern California, they've had little or no experience with the lean issues presented in the Cheswick report, nor with the huge problems they cause. Mark Webb, VP and Assistant General Counsel for Pacific Compensation Insurance Company, also prepared a well-reasoned point-by-point eight-page response. He seems to suggest that the Cheswick recommendations do not go far enough and that some of the suggestions are more palliative than curative of the medical legal process. He notes that the consideration of other states and other delivery systems could provide deeper solutions. He points out that we cannot have a workers' compensation system that fundamentally embraces an adversarial role with the physicians upon whom so much is dependent. David Ford, the Associate Director of Medical and Regulatory Policy of the California Medical Association, complained that researchers relied on information from claims administrators and insurers and did not consult with physicians who provide care to injured workers. He points out that the CMA believes that there are abuses on the part of payors that need to be addressed. Cheswick took these and other suggestions into consideration and has now published their final report on the lien problem. In other Cheswick news, Cheswick is required by Labor Code Section 77 to issue an annual report on the state of the workers' compensation system. Their report includes recommendations for administrative or legislative modifications which would improve the operation of the system. In the August 19 meeting, Cheswick Commissioner McNally asked the Cheswick staff to suggest what additional information should be included in the workers' compensation oversight monitoring process. 
In response, the staff raised concerns about missing information and made some suggestions for improvement. The report suggests closer monitoring of court delays and judicial performance in general. Oregon does a good job of monitoring the efficiency of the judicial process and could serve as a model. New judicial metrics to be monitored, such as the time frame from filing of an application to the disposition of the case by a district office. Also, monitoring of the number of hearings or proceedings that take place prior to the case resolution, and the number of decisions upheld at the appeals board and the number of reversals. Not all entities are reporting their data to the Workers' Compensation Information System, the principal database in which all claims are reported to the DWC. Approximately 25% of the claims are missing. Currently, there is no penalty for failure to report to WCIS. Medical provider networks are currently not identified, but should be in the database. The report asks the DWC to develop data that would indicate MPNs set up by an employer versus those set up by an insurer and reveal the contrasts in performance between the two entities. There were also suggestions about metrics for monitoring UR, such as the percentage of UR that is automatically approved versus the percent that goes to physician for denial or modification. Also, the number of denials based on lack of documentation is useful. The Cheswick document suggests that once such metrics are established and in place, unless the industry starts meeting the requirements, the insurance commissioner could decide to hold back on approving any premium increases. And in other regulatory news, the DWC has modified its proposed regulations to adopt standardized paper medical treatment billing forms and electronic medical billing standards. These revisions follow public hearings that occurred in April 2010 in Oakland and Los Angeles. There was a small turnout at those hearings, which was surprising considering the impact electronic billing will have on the medical community. During those hearings, Sandy Staub from the health systems in Tampa, Florida, said that so far only Texas and Minnesota have mandatory e-billing requirements. Even though Texas has had e-billing for two years, there's only about 80% penetration. Minnesota implemented e-billing in July 2009 and had only 3% penetration. Staub said that there is a considerable cost in technology for providers to make the transition to e-billing and challenges for a lot of providers to put these processes into place. She claims that more time should be allowed after implementation of the regulations for medical providers to adapt to e-billing. Linda Winkler, however, from MDON, a clearinghouse that connects providers to payers, did not think that a long implementation period was needed. Mary Jo Castruccio with Contra Costa County noted that under paper billing, governmental entities have 60 days to pay, and once e-billing goes into effect, governmental entities must pay in 15 days instead. The DWC clarified that under e-billing, governmental entities have the same time limits as other employers. Based upon this input, the DWC has made modifications to the proposed regulations and a 15-day notice of modification has been posted on the DWC website. Medical e-billing regulations will encourage electronic billing and faster payments to physicians and are part of the division's 12-point plan to help control medical costs in California workers' compensation system. 
The proposed revisions include modification of the text of the regulations relating to the documents incorporated by reference, the effective date of the regulations, and changes to improve clarity and consistency. There are now a specification of 5010 versions of the electronic billing transaction standards instead of the 4010 versions of those standards. The 5010 standards are the national standards that will be mandatory under HIPAA in 2012. Members of the public may comment on the new regulation revisions until 5 o'clock p.m. on January 21, 2011. The Federal Employees' Compensation Act of 1916 was never intended to be a retirement plan. But critics say, for thousands of government employees, that's just what it's become. Under the federal system, disabled employees unable to return to work get to choose between receiving higher-paying workers' compensation benefits or lower-paying federal retirement plans. For the most, the choice is clear. The money is almost always better under the workers' comp program, which pays up to 75% of the employees' salaries tax-free compared with the 60% they would receive under the retirement system. Recent legislation by Senator Susan Collins proposes to transfer workers' compensation recipients to the federal retirement system when they reach retirement age. Dan Adcock, Legislative Director for the National Active and Retired Federal Employees Association said the organization opposes such a move. Government watchdog organizations welcome the move. Moving workers' compensation recipients into the retirement isn't a new idea. In 1996, the GAO, the investigative arm of Congress, pointed out that a 1981 proposal by the Reagan administration included a provision to convert workers' compensation benefits to retirement benefits at age 65. But the measure did not become law. In 2004, Shelby Hallmark, director of the Office of Workers' Compensation Programs at the Department of Labor, testified to Congress about the problem. In a prepared statement, the Labor Department said, language addressing this issue and other reform measures was put forth in the President's fiscal 2011 budget submission to Congress. And in financial news, Stone Point Capital serves as the manager of the Trident Funds, which have raised more than $10 billion aimed at investments in the insurance, employee benefits, and financial services industries. Stone Point has made a number of investments in the insurance claims services and workers' compensation sectors, including GenX Holdings, Cedric CMS, SRS, and Cunningham Lindsay. They have now announced the acquisition of Progressive Medical Incorporated, a leading pharmacy benefit manager and ancillary services provider focused on the workers' compensation and auto no-fault markets. David Bianconi, the founder of Progressive Medical, will continue in his role as chairman of the company and will retain a significant ownership stake in the business. Progressive Medical has invested more than 20 years of experience in developing innovative pharmacy management and ancillary solutions for its clients. By combining its, its clinical experience with access to an expansive network of pharmacies, home health care service, and medical equipment, Progressive Medical enables its clients to manage costs while providing quality care to injured parties. And there's more news from Stone Point Capital. Cunningham Lindsay has acquired the U.S. loss-adjusting business of GAB Robbins North America. 
The addition of the GAB Robin significantly expands Cunningham Lindsay's operations in the United States, particularly in the commercial loss adjusting space. U.S. operations will expand by more than 380 people and 100 office locations as a result of the acquisition. The combined business will operate under the Cunningham Lindsay brand identity. Almost two years ago, Cunningham Lindsay acquired the international operations of GAB Robbins and EFI Global. Cunningham Lindsay is majority owned by Stone Point Capital. Stone Point acquired a majority interest in Cunningham Lindsay in 2007. And now our medical report. A new study in the American Journal of Sports Medicine finds that an MRI can diagnose a tear in the disc of cartilage cushioning the knee but it does not reliably predict which tears can be repaired with surgery. It's estimated that more than 850,000 Americans undergo surgery each year for injuries to the menisci, two wedges of shock-absorbing cartilage in the knee joint. That surgery can involve either suturing the tear back together or removing the damaged portion of the tissue altogether. At present, surgeons cannot tell whether the tear will be repairable until the surgery is underway. Knowing ahead of time would be helpful for both surgeons and patients, according to the lead researcher on the new study. For patients, it matters because repaired meniscus tears have a more involved recovery compared to with surgical removal of the tissue. When the injured tissue is simply trimmed off, people can basically get up and walk home. People who have the meniscal tear repaired, on the other hand, need about four to six weeks of recovery, often with physical therapy. It would be beneficial to be able to tell patients ahead of time which surgery they are going to get. MRI scans are widely used to diagnose meniscus tears, and they are accurate up to 99% of the time. But that same MRI information has traditionally been considered a poor predictor of whether or not the tear can be repaired. It is not good with the details where the tear begins and ends or how complex it is. And in other news, before leaving office, Governor Schwarzenegger has appointed Larry Mulryan, chairman of the California State Compensation Insurance Fund Board. Mulryan replaces Gene Keene, whose term expired. The governor also appointed Scott Reed to the board. Mulryan was interim president and CEO of the state fund in 2007 and also was the former executive director of the California Insurance Guarantee Association. Reed was previously cabinet secretary for the governor. He also previously served as undersecretary of the state and consumer services agency. Prior to that, he was Chief Deputy Director for the Department of Consumer Affairs from 2007 to 2009. Reed served as Chief, Chief Deputy Cabinet Secretary for the Office of Governor Schwarzenegger in 2006, and from 2004 to 2005, he was the Director of the Office of the Insurance Advisor and from 1998 to 2003 was Chief of Staff to Fred Aguirre of the San Bernardino County Board of Supervisors and the California State Assembly. That's all our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, your iPad, or your iPod by searching for WorkComp Academy in the iTunes Store. 
Again, I'm Renee Foles with Floyd, Scarron, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today, and please stop by our website again next week for more news.